You have tuned your subspace communicator to Feature Please, a full voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. My name is Peter. We were jamming one more episode in before you take off for the hinterlands of Atlanta and uh, Dragon Con. And you went on at length last week speaking about uh, the virtues of the hardcore party scene slash mm. adult good times to be had there. Absolutely. Have you identified any Voyager related content that you will be able to consume while you're there? Yeah, man, it's kind of a lame showing. Like there was a lot of really good stuff lined up last year, I thought. <clears throat> and I think their guest list overall is not as great for my purposes. They've got some bigger names. They got uh, Shatner is going to be there. And I think uh, George. But man, I don't know if I want to sit in those big rooms. I'll probably go hit up Garrett Wang's thing and hit him with some. Uh, some of the deeper questions that we've knocked around here. I, I really want to get his take on uh, some of the writer room stuff. And specifically, I want to ask him about like, if the cast kind of was aware when the show became aware of its own history and started becoming self-referential. Did it improve in the way that we have sensed it improving? Yeah. Is that confirmation bias or is that, is that actually something that happened? Voyager specific, like I said, Garrett Wang's going to be there. And uh, actually, the People versus Star Trek uh, Voyager is going to be doing a live podcast. And uh, depending on what I got on my schedule at that point, I might swing by just to check it out and see how a live podcast looks. You and I have done live podcasts in another life, in another hobby. Uh, very true. Yes. In another life, we did... Uh... We did them in front of audiences. I think we did maybe four of those. And uh, yeah, it could be a little tough. You got to you got a room like if the room's rolling with you, it's one thing. If they're this kind of wallpaper, it gets harder. But I, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, the people versus Star Trek Voyager was doing live show because I saw that, too. And I was going to push you in their direction. Uh, they're definitely uh, but they're behind us. They're actually going to do Scorpion Part Two, I think, is their live show. Really? Yeah. So I've gotten into the habit of listening to them a bit because now their ideas won't taint our takes because they're half dozen episodes uh, behind us in terms of pacing. And I I don't agree with uh, everything they got to say, but I will say they're probably the second best Voyager podcast out there. <laughs> I got that going for them. You know, they yeah. work, keep working on it. They might get there someday. You know, you I'll tell know. you what, man, as a peace offering, why don't I go to their live cast? Uh, I'll print off a some sort of web award so I can officially present them with the second best Voyager podcast on the Internet. <laughs> award. <laughs> yeah. Sex second best. Their audience size probably is an order of magnitude larger than ours. But, you know, that's just, you know what, though? We like I to keep it see... underground here. I want to see what interactive choose your own adventures their audience base has created. That's true. We got that going for us. We have the only show me their spicy meme Lord. They don't got what we got going community wise. We might have a smaller number, but we have the deeper cuts. Hmm. And I think That's I like it that way. I love it that way. So what did we watch this week, Peter? We watched season four, episode seven scientific method. All right. Okay. Listen, I know that the last few weeks I have tried to be a bit of an apologist for Star Trek Voyager and and perhaps I went a little bit native and and you've been the doubter. I'm really hoping we can agree that this episode was good because I enjoyed it. No caveats. I liked it. Ooh, that's big fat negative, Joe. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry. Really? 
Uh, I, I was going to ask you like, the same question. Really? Really? Yeah. That, that, you know, wasn't too much seven to nine. It was the right amount. Uh, it was funny. It had some like, inter- you know, like uh, some amusing beats in it. Uh, interesting s- space conundrum. A little, a little weak in how they rolled it out there at the end. But I still think uh, the idea was strong behind it. The uh, some of the dialogue was uh, top notch, particularly from from Tuvok. Uh, we have the the episode of Star Trek that allowed me to personally identify with a Star Trek character the most. I loved it. Harry Kim. I, I've always seen you as a Harry Kim. That's that's true. I do have uh, weird sex fetishes and remember the womb. Hmm. But uh, so you didn't like it, huh? I wouldn't say it was bad, but I'm not going to put it as a good. Uh, I will say it does have an excellent open. Um, we start off with uh, Balana trudging through some Jeffrey's tubes. Uh, and it got me to thinking, like, what exactly is where, where is the right place for the chief engineer to be? Like thinking that the most important engineer, the one who's your bridge liaison is mucking around in Jeffrey's tubes. Like doesn't really seem like uh, right management protocol, but I guess. I guess if nothing else, that's what Bolana's tried to, you know, they've tried to do with the Bolana character is that she's not uh, a traditional Starfleet officer and she does like to get her hands dirty. But she, there she is in the Jeffries tube and she pops open the door and she's surprised to see seven of nine sitting there in a third different outfit. And uh, we get a little bit of dialogue and we quickly find out that the reason why Bolana is there is to try and troubleshoot a problem that. Seven of Nine has basically intentionally created as she has uh, started redistributing power in the ship in anticipation of the astral. What? The Astrometrics Lab. And I figured you, this was a conversation that you, as a boss, could appreciate. You know, one of your subordinates mucking around and causing problems because they didn't fucking ask you <laughs> to yeah. do something. Not yeah. didn't communicate with you. Like, this is this is some fucking real world, world shit right here like you think you're helping you're not fucking helping john yeah. <laughs> he's like you're not fucking helping you're actually hurting i'm trying to get some shit done around here and now i found out you're the one that's making it not work what i you know voyager's done this a few times now where they start laying down uh, a breadcrumb trail of conversation where i start getting like mad and i'm like you know balana's got a lot of fucking nerve busting uh seven and nines balls about jumping command structure and just you know this can do attitude when right there in the script she catches herself and says huh i just was on the other end of this exact uh speech you know three years ago when captain janeway was basically beating into my head that we need to be team players here you're you know you're going to cause problems and here i am giving this speech and it was this I thought a really cool personal growth moment, you know, speaking of Voyager being self-referential and aware of their own past deeds for Bellana to recognize kind of her hypocrisy there and maybe less hypocrisy and more uh, acknowledge her own growth as an officer. And in that moment of reflection also kind of gave seven of nine an opening to, you know, acknowledge her mistake in a, more or less for her sincere fashion. I thought that was really good. And I think that seven of nine has had to say, I'm sorry a couple of times now on screen. 
The last one that comes to mind was uh, her fudging some calibration with uh, Harry and Harry called her out on it. And she's like, oh, I guess that was just my human side. But her getting caught doing something bad. And I think growing through the experience instead of just being needlessly antagonistic or stubborn. My favorite part of the open, though, is Thomas Eugene Paris. Have you ever cut out of work early? You know, just a little, just a little early, you know, maybe uh, swung by, got some flowers for the lady, made up an excuse so that you could uh, have a have a romantic interlude, perhaps in the late afternoon. In her place of business. Maybe maybe not in her play, place of business. Just, just you know, skating out of your duties just a little bit, taking advantage perhaps of some of the uh, the work copier to get something done. Maybe grab a few office supplies on the way out. <laughs> Tom Paris skips out on his shift early by making up an excuse, and then uses a fucking site to site transporter while also replicating flowers for Bellana. That and this seems is, that is just some abuse of your work privileges that I can understand. Like this is this is the Tom Paris I really appreciate of like I don't really I care, but I don't care enough to not uh not use the fact that I have 24th century super science at my disposal to make my hookup with my lady friend go that much more smoothly. So you're saying your bonding point with Tom Paris is uh time theft? Yes, yes. I guess the inner boss in you does not appreciate this, but... No, not at all. And I, I'm glad you brought up this. Yeah, he really does have a laundry list of uh, of bad things he does there. I mean, the replicator rations are his to spend as he sees fit, but yeah. Uh, the site-to-site transport, which... He uses a site-to-site transport to beam himself into the Jeffrey's tube above Balana with his arm hanging over the side like... How do you even program that into the computer? That seems like you're really trying to create a situation where a foot or a hand ends up in the bullpen. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure there's protocols for that sort of thing to make uh, sure the computer doesn't down, let you do that. Did he lay down prior to transport so he was in the right position? Uh, whatever. It's it's rearranging your damn molecules. It can put you I'm however it was to put you. Uh, well, you know, listen, they got to have their, their phaser away team uh, fight party stance ready before they beam down um and i want to say he's using the transporter for a flirty little fling meanwhile later in the episode when neelix is on the floor dying (laughs) (laughs) no mention of an emergency site-to-site transport for old neelix no he's uh space cats well they're not too good for the just the hallway fuck the transporter but yeah we'll just we'll just i'll throw him over my shoulder and get him there it's fine it's perfectly fine. Everything's fine here. He gets in and we get dragged into yet more boring Tom and Bellana bullshit. And they treat us to one of the most stale, shallow on-screen kisses I think we've ever seen in Star Trek. It looks like two three-year-olds trying to kiss each other with these little pecks on the lip. But luckily, before we're forced to sit there and watch their awkward kiss... Uh, they turn into like uh, X-rays 
and we see their ribs and their stomachs and, you know, their muscle. And this is the new trope of the show now. It used to be soup and then it was people getting locked in jail and now it's aliens observing Tom and Bolana's mating rituals. You'll remember the last time we saw this was uh, dinosaur people. You know, there's a stupid line of dialogue of, oh, I just felt like I was being watched because, you know, of course, that's they're being watched and they have to make sure that every viewer fucking knows that they're being watched, even though they just essentially showed you that uh, through the alien scan. 100% agree, of course, as always, everything having to do with Tom and Bolana's romance is stupid and has none of the prerequisite chemistry or passion to make it. Uh, worth watching. I think the biggest effort on both of their ends is to make this relationship as public as fucking possible. I think our first interaction with this was uh, was it uh, Day of Honor? No, no it was after it was, Day of Honor. Yeah, well, there was there was two instances where they clearly were word was going to get out, but there was the one when Day of Honor when they got back to the ship and they said right in front of the doctor, "Hey, let's go fuck." Right. Right at the end of the episode. That's literally what they ended on. And then the second was, I think, the last episode where they were uh, Tuvok was getting promoted and they were making revulsion. They were making out in the fucking uh, hallway right in front of the mess hall. Like so where where all their co-workers are. And then the doctor came in on seeing them making out there again, too. There is one way in that room and one way out of that room. And they are standing there at that bottleneck. And. Every every sexual or flirty or any interaction that they have pretty much up until the very end of this episode happens in public. Like they are hardcore voyeurs and they actually put a pretty interesting reason as to why that might be so intense. But these are two people who almost have to be going out of their way to be as as public as possible with what is going on. Starting, like I said, like you said, their their very first kiss was right in front of pretty much the whole fucking crew. I, I, what's the right way to put this? I don't know about your experience with this, but in my, in my work life experience, it doesn't take much for people in an office to start gossiping on if person A and person B are hooking up. Okay. That's just my life experience that. It doesn't take much suspicion at all for other people to speculate on that. And this is kind of human nature. People like to fucking do that. They like to talk and speculate and, and ooh and ah and whatever about it. And that's with no evidence. I I don't think 24th century people are so enlightened that they are not, A, going to have that impulse. And B, when you start physically showing you know, affection for each other in public, that's going to be a big fucking hint for people and word's going to spread super fast. And oh yeah, you made out in front of the doctor. I'm sure he's never going to mention that to anybody. Like the fucking, they, the fact that they go on for half, go through halfway through this episode, trying to act like no one fucking knows they're doing this is yeah. absurd. I wonder if even more yeah, and all their arguments, like when they're stuck on Hoth and like they're flirting and stuff, they're like, I wonder if people aren't gossiping about like, oh, they're hooking up, but it's just the own Voyager commentary. Like these guys are such a terrible couple. That's so boring watching them <laughs> kiss and why, make out. How many times together? 
How many times is Tom going to accuse her of putting up walls? Ugh, this is terrible. I wish they'd break up already. So that's stupid. We find a legit humorous scene, I thought, of uh, Janeway laying face down on a massage table in her quarters, and the EMH is doing like a deep tissue, sweetest massage on her and really giving her a hard time about what bad care she's been taking of herself, which has been kind of an ongoing theme, right? That she's a workaholic that, you know, pushes herself to her own detriment. It, it makes sense that being a captain of a starship would not leave what's much time for self-care. And the overall idea of perhaps conveying that thought, I don't object to at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, you're out there dealing with space horrors every day. You don't have time for, you know, a healthy breakfast and a workout. You're going to be stressed. You know, you're going to have to deal with that. And I mean, to our points about uh, Federation antidepressant, she's like, can you just give me a fucking hyper spray? I don't want to deal with this. I just want you to inject me with some magic space <laughs> drugs and fucking move on in my life. Give me give uh, me the oxy, doc. Give yeah, me the yeah. oxy. <laughs> I need some fentanyl, please. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're both from Ohio and it's 2019. It's tragic, but it's also fun. <laughs> uh, but uh, Janeway's not getting her Doc, hands ain't on you any, got any uh... more of that space pixie dust? Well, I know. I'm sorry, Captain. We haven't started jamming uh, Borg nanoprobes into every corner of this. His. <sighs> TNG is a real funny thing in the first season, especially right where Gene Roddenberry tries to lay out his vision of what is life in the 24th century. And there's a lot of stuff they do that we just want to ignore and say, well, you know, we don't talk about that, but you can't, it was a whole season. It, it, it is the DNA for all of this, right? And there's a whole episode. It's a season one, episode nine, the battle. And that's the one where Damon mock or whatever, hides uh that frangy thought device in uh picard's shit and then he pulls the stargazer picard's old command out and picard starts getting plagued by these these mystical crazy strange illnesses uh that beverly diagnoses as a headache which they have all but eradicated like they make this whole big production in this episode about no one has had a headache for 60 years and how crazy it is that you have one of these because it's a side effect of this frangy thought device uh and and that's one of those things that those notions that have gotten left by the wayside that there's not this stress there's not this fatigue element that humans still have to endure in this enlightened future. And uh, yeah, she's just had this terrible headache for what feels like weeks now, and it's not going away no matter what they do. And uh, it will go on to become a pretty significant part of this episode. But headaches specifically have always been one of those things I thought's really interesting in, in Star Trek because of, again, the big deal they made all the way back in season one, episode nine of TNG. I agree with your overall point that that was kind of a goofy Gene Roddenberry thing mm. that it makes so much more sense that there's just some things like that 24th magic space medicine can't really just make go away. Yeah. Like prezi squares. 
<laughs> like Preezy scares injuries, murdering children, yeah. and also that you know you could stress yourself out and get headaches, and that's just that's just part of life. I mean, the not to go too deep IRL science, but the brain is you know a deeply uh, uh, complex organ that's very poorly understood by today's science, and who's to say twenty fourth century science is going to be you know perfectly understanding of it. And well, this feels I, way more right to me than the whole Beverly Crusher, I can't believe you have a headache thing. Is that, yeah, we can, in fact, alleviate these symptoms, but, you know, you got to fucking eat right and exercise and treat yourself correctly if you want to avoid the little uh, discomforts of life that come with not doing these things. But uh, I thought that scene overall was was very cute. And that's not <laughs> that's not a praise I'm willing to lay on Voyager often. Like I think a lot of these scenes usually come off as stupid and, and piss me off, but the little interplay there between the doctor and the captain was really good. And ultimately Chakotay calls her up to the bridge because they've got some binary stars that are super dangerous and gravity event horizon hell. Well, but they're going to get some really keen readings on it. So they're going to chill out there and, and grab them. Uh, Janeway's too fatigued and she goes, uh, all right, Chakotay, you're in charge of this. Uh, I gotta go. This headache's causing me problems. And then we cut back over, I think, to Tom and Bolana, who Tom shows up looking for some more action on the, on the clock. And Bolana's like, yeah, I've got those readings you need, but they're upstairs in my upstairs workstation. So let's go up there and start making out all over this console. And that, that console up there. That is where the Hellmouth formed. Yes. Remember? Yes. That is the Hellmouth that Crewman Jonas was dumped into by Snarf Snarf. It's a murder weapon. Here they are rolling around on this console. And they even have the sound effects in there of like beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop, right? (laughs) Of that that shit's getting activated on there. It's like, holy shit, you are right next to your giant explosion explosive antimatter device that fuels your 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 whole ship you're you're pressing buttons on a console right next to it you're and dry right humping be- her up against the it and right behind you is where a fucking hellmouth showed up like a year and a half ago and ate somebody what the fuck are you doing you roll around and then you press the wrong buttons you might eject the core you know open up another goddamn hellmouth like you guys are endangering the lives of, of the of the ship so that you can what jack, you know, Bolana up on there and get her leg above your fucking shoulder. And just go for it. Like, are you fucking crazy? Uh, not just the Hellmouth, but now that I've gotten a good view of what that is right there to the left is the quote unquote armory. So you've got rifles and oh, grenades, the pipes, the pipes, knives, Holy shit. Starfleet oh knives. <laughs> like this, there's a lot of history in this little warp core loft for that to be her little personal office like i'm pretty sure that part of the ship has to be haunted and that's also <laughs> like the bridge that dude fell off of and broke his back <laughs> seriously this is a deadly part of the ship this is not where you want to be you know getting frisky or maybe you do i mean again they're they're terrible voyeurs maybe they're trying to they're like hey you know we've made out in front of the whole crew let's go make out in front of jonas's ghost <laughs> okay so hauntings aside uh the next uh you know uh 
guy without a pulse that comes up is actually <laughs> Tupac. <laughs> and uh, witnesses them clearly making out on the panel and, you know, delivers this some information Bolana asked for. And then Tom uh, comes in in the next scene and does what uh, I call and you know as of as the Hey Buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Tom tries to Hey Buddy Tuvok. I'm like, you didn't see us make out right. You're not going to mention that, right? Like, you don't have to say anything about it. And he's very much uh, a Vulcan about it. But I got to say, though, that uh, Tuvok in this episode, I don't know who wrote his dialogue, but he's in a punchy mood. Maybe that's like what they did to him as they like increased his sarcasm gland. Which is already pretty big to start off with. Right, but he's just like shutting down his inquiries, and then he like makes the straight up answer ask of, "Hey, please don't mention it." And he just kind of turns to Tom and says, "You're not asking me to falsify something, are you?" Like straight up, just like you're, you realize that you shouldn't actually be asking me to not mention that I saw that. You know, like it's the, it's the first hint of what is to come, which is I will say Tuvok visiting the burn unit. Yeah. When's the last time we really had a Tuvok-centric episode? It's been a while, hasn't it? Rise? Yeah, that was a long fucking time ago. Uh, Rise? Tuvok has grabbed a lot of ire from us. We've also criticized Tuvok hard on being a character that just isn't isn't good to write for. That you know what what is the right way to use Tuvok? Versus all of the wrong ways. And I think really the Tuvok that we've seen over most of season four uh, has actually been pretty good. Uh, all things considered, I he hasn't really had any standout moments where I've like been rolling my eyes or hating that he's there. I think that they've done a really good job finding like the sass vein in him and following through on it consistently. And uh uh, he's grown on me. I I gotta say, maybe that's part of using him less. Uh, yeah, you know, we've some of our least favorite episodes have been Tuvok centric episodes because he is poorly used. He is not the character you want to introduce into a episode where, for example, he has to care for children <laughs> or be the romantic partner to someone or be a space cop um space private eye but he's good as a supporting character you know and he's well used in this circumstance in that role in this episode and he's got maybe like three key scenes but they're all like he he punches up you know the scenes really well with what how he uses his screen time so i appreciated it do you notice how very, in my opinion, obviously pregnant Roxanne Dawson has become at this point. Yes. And as I mentioned to you that they really start to shoot her in reshoots in particular for different episodes. You can see it because obviously those get done later. Uh, and then as the season has gone on, like I think she was like three months pregnant, like when they started filming. So like it, it it's getting obvious and she's going to start wearing the coat soon. Yeah, my wife's pretty pregnant right now, so you know I'm very familiar with all the pains and woes there. 
I know about the swelling of the feet and, and discomfort and all that other stuff. And all I can do is sit there really sympathize for Roxanne Dawson that not only is she pregnant through all of this, but has all of that crap on her face and has to sit on that chair every day and have all of that crap put on her face. And it seems miserable. So all the more power to her for being able to sell these scenes that she's in and, uh, and deliver. There's definitely, uh, it, there's some episodes that take place later on in the season, obviously, as she gets more and more pregnant, where it's just it reaches the point of like, damn, you are super pregnant and still doing this. Like, yeah, they uh, they come up with more and more creative ways to hide it. You're going to stand uh, but... behind this console. Now you're going to stand behind this chair. Now you're going to stand behind the shuttlecraft. At one point, uh, you know what? I'm not going to even spoil it. You just got to you'll have to see it to believe it. After this is when they go to the uh, the officers meeting and they're like arguing in the uh, turbo lift about if they're going to try and keep their relationship private, which is stupid because there <sighs> it already isn't. Uh, but it does result in possibly the most stern hammer thrown down moment from Janeway ever. And she's dealt with like multiple people having committed mutiny. She dresses down Tom and Blana after the meeting for essentially uh, acting like horny teenagers and making out. Am I to understand that you were dry humping on the warp core eject button where crewman (laughs) Jonas was murdered by that cat and where we keep all the rifles to fight off flying germs. Is this is what I am to understand for my two senior staff members? I mean, it's it's her most no nonsense uh, Captain Jellico moment that she has ever had on Ooh, the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And it's it's over uh, Tom and Bolana making out in front of their coworkers. Not Tuvok having committed mutiny. Not Bolana having committed mutiny. Not Chakotay having committed, committed mutiny. mutiny. No, it's how dare you to want to bang on the clock. Not Tom having broken into Harry's <laughs> quarters and hovered over him bragging about his sex toys while Harry's trying to sleep. <laughs> Not Harry Kim needlessly murdering people on sex cougar planet. I mean, you know, it, it's a meme at this point of how forgiving that she is. Not Lon Suter for killing someone and then hiding them in the wall. (laughs) But it's it's the stark nature of the fact that she never, ever seems to have this side of her come out is made more apparent by having her do it now over something so petty. Right. Like. And I think that they're trying to show you, oh, there's something wrong with her because she's acting this way. But to me, it's like, I think there's something wrong with her that she never acts this way. <laughs> like, shouldn't the captain have this mode? Like, let's let's talk about Picard for a second, can we? I love can we talking ex- about Picard. Okay. There was a Red Letter Media video I watched about uh, the Picard TV show that they're, you know, discussing why they're worried about that show and if if the people involved really understand the character and something that is said on it by rich evans is that picard is a deeply reserved character he is very much a stern and respected figure of authority on the ship for all seven years like his big 
emotional connection that he makes by the end of the show is he decides to go and play poker with his friends. That's it. That's that's the that's the first time of after seven years that he decides to go just like have friends. A hangout. Yeah, like these people who are the closest thing to family that I have, that I've saved the universe with, I'm going to go hang out with them. I'm going to allow myself to do that, right? And it's it's a, it's a so well done with his character. Of course, it's this big emotional payoff. But when you think about it in a vacuum, it's like, geez, you know, that is a big deal for him. But man, talk about how reserved someone is. And then you contrast that with, with Janeway, who essentially is just like a mother to her crew, like automatically, like she doesn't have separation. She doesn't have command authority. She's mom to these people. You know, she, she refers to them by their first names. Like even when she's pissed at them, you know, like she, it's, it feels like it's almost an overcorrection. And I don't know if they made Janeway this way because she's a, a woman and they felt like that was, you know, going to be the right way to portray, uh, portray her command authority is in a more matronly way, or if it was a performance choice on the part of Kate Mulgrew or some combination, you know, or just happened to be that way just by the circumstances of the, sh- of, of the show itself, you know, cause they did have like one episode real early on where she like postulates on that, but then they just don't really ever talk about it again. And she just kind of is this way, but it was so stark to me. It's so interesting that she finally like bet busts out the Starfleet captain voice for one second. And it's like, well, she's obviously like capable of this. Where is this when it's, you know, actually genuinely necessary. And like you said, I mean, it, it's been some real dire ass stuff that some real raw things have gone down. Looking at this in universe too, usually the show is pretty good that when someone acts wildly out of character, there is a consideration of, is something wrong with this person chalking it up to fatigue over and over. I guess it's clever enough that, yeah, this could be, this could be easily explained that, you know, she's just overexerted. But when you put it in perspective like that, like Tom and Blanche should be like, uh, you remember that time Chakotay stole a shuttle and uh, endangered us with all that Kazon stuff, or we stole all that stuff from the Skeevians. Like, she wasn't even like a quarter mad that time as she just was here. Uh, I I agree. It's it's something I would have liked to see more of prior to this point and without alien influence over him. But they get their butts spanked and they run off. Uh, and then we cut over, I think, to Chakotay, who's doing some late night work on whatever his little binary star is. Uh, we find out that the ship can now make coffee no big deal and the replicators so <laughs> right no problem don't have Congra- to drink no okay, space cat sludge you're just you're good congratulations on that technological feat uh, and then he grabs his neck because he gets space choked by an unseen foe uh he wanders over to his very tasteful space sink and mm-hmm. his hair starts falling out and this is the beginning of a bad time. We often say that in Star Trek, you can judge how good of a time someone's having by the condition of their hair. Chakotay is having a very bad time. All of his hair has fallen out. And although he might look like Skeletor, <laughs> we will be later told that he is not, in fact, turning into He-Man's 
adversary. He is just really old. And I don't know if the person who did the makeup for him has just never seen an old person before (laughs) in their entire life. But this grotesque ass shit they, they put him in, it's like this extra bone piece mask over his entire face like the eye sock like it looks like he-man from masters of the universe with i i a a big terrible tattoo apparently his tattoo is like half of his head so the makeup they put him in is well done it's just not old people makeup (laughs) like you are correct he looks like he has some sort of weird person mask on his face (laughs) like he killed someone and is wearing it as a trophy uh i'm gonna tell you what I think that they if they would have put and I'm doing air quotes here, old person makeup like there's apparently there's two types of old person makeup in Star Trek. There's terrible next gen old person makeup where people look like they have uh, paper bags glued to their face. And then there's Skeletor old people makeup in Voyager. And I think if they take, quote unquote, old people makeup from Voyager and just would have turned that into just actually an alien species. Instead of all the shitheads we've had to deal with, where we've got dudes with salami in their hair. And then we had like this weird bone face Skeletor guy as a whole race. Uh, I thought that would have been really cool because he yeah, looks like he, he looks hideous. alien. Yeah, he Very looks fucking. Alien. And, you know, we're, we're making fun of the fact that he doesn't look old, but I can't. But at the same time, it's very good makeup. I know it's... old people. I know several old people. None of them look like that. <laughs> Yes, I've never seen an old person look like that at at, at ever, uh, especially like, I, I mean, if I ever saw an old person who looked like that, I assume it's Leatherface, <laughs> like when you murdered say, someone wearing their fucking skin. Why do you have some sort of bone armor plating on your face? Do you are you from an alien race that is very keen on the headbutts? What what is this? By the way, uh, Chakotay's never seen as cured of this. They How do you even sh- cure it? And I know, right? Like everyone else goes. So what's going to happen is it's going to be revealed. Crew members are undergoing random genetic mutations. Chakotay has started rapidly aging. Neelix apparently becomes something called a Mylian, uh, who apparently have very smelly farts and, uh, and some other They're kind of. O- yeah. yeah, they have a lot of uh, glandular activity. Uh, someone will is going to just die of a fucking heart attack later. Uh it gets kind of nasty. They they kind of hand wave the end of like, oh, and the doctor was able to fucking fix everything, but they don't explain how they de-age Chakotay back. You don't I want to go either. back to how ugly Chakotay is, and and I have it in my notes. He looks like Deadpool in the Ryan Reynolds movie. Yeah, when he takes his yeah, mask. Yeah, he does That's exactly what he looks like as as Deadpool. He looks like a slightly more urbane Deadpool, like instead of like the pitting. There's no pitting, but this otherwise it's very similar. But yeah, if the doctor is able to undo genetic modifications that make his aging centers rapidly aging him, are we led to believe that basically the doctor has the fountain of youth and he can just reverse aging on anybody? Because that's kind of what we're left to, to believe here. But they're having the scene about how fast he's rapidly aging, which I think would be really, really scary for Chakotay. To be in a situation where you've just lost what appears to be 60, I don't know, 60, yeah, probably like 60, at least 50 years of your life in a couple hours. And for some reason, they're choosing to let you just chill out in med bay or sick bay. I'd be like, 
man, you know, if only there was some sort of fantastic technology that could have placed me in suspended animation while I could still interact and help the crew. I need to get like some kind of ICP song (laughs) that I can put in as a drop in when you mention Juggalo Tech. I mean, we're we're like 75 episodes or whatever, 76 episodes into doing this show now. It's time for me to do that. So is it not the technology gift that keeps on giving? I mean, of all the things for them to squander, it was just maybe maybe that's why they didn't keep Juggalo tech around. And of course, we're talking about the uh, cryostasis chambers from the thaw where the people inside can continue to think and live in a virtual environment while they're cancer riddled bodies or whatever the fuck Chakotay's problem is that turned them into uh, a walking scrotum. (laughs) He does have a fun scene where he basically has an old man fight with Neelix about who's like shit's all fucked up more, which I thought was funny a, because it's, you know, it's something that old people absolutely do. And I've seen it firsthand of like comparing how like something doesn't work and trying to basically outdo the other about how horribly just, you know, broken down their body is. Uh, but also it kind of goes to the jokey attitude they have about the fact that both Neelix and Chakotay are both currently being, uh, you know, abused by whatever this uh, strange space conundrum slash cosmic horror is of the week. And they're like, eh, whatever. I can't fucking see shit. My my farts smell. I got arthritis now. Like my spine is fused, and that stinks because my toes are already fused. And also, I only still have one lung. That'd be like baller if you suddenly grew a second lung from that. They actually like brought that up. Yeah, no. You have mess with DNA. Can you do some good in there? Yeah, while you're in there, grow me another lung, please. In in any case, uh, Torres and the doctor start to investigate why this is happening. And they actually seem to figure it out that there is some kind of contamination on everyone's DNA. And they find this like tiny little alien barcode on it and come to the conclusion. It's, it's essentially hyper advanced micro mic, microcellular uh, manipulation. And as they are attempting to get more information, like what's going on, what is this doing? Oh, it's, it's transmitting something, but it's not very, very strong. Suddenly, Bolana comes down with a case of the of the asphyxiates and someone tries to start deleting the doctor and essentially cuts that information off from being spread any further by eliminating the two people that figured it out. Yet another case of Bolana getting her ass kicked. There's yeah, been a like, lot of that in season four. Yeah, she just got done getting absolutely manhandled repeatedly by a psychotic uh a hologram trying to murder everyone uh so you know that she's she just got done with that and now she's being like choked out by having her like lungs collapse or whatever she's got really by... bad luck yeah she does man i it, it it's it's the klingon it's the klingon yeah. target man it's like luck it's... of the irish this is bad luck of the klingon uh and this is kind of when they bring seven of nine back into the story. And I felt like she was better used here and that she definitely is a big part of them figuring out what's going on, but she doesn't dominate the story, which I think we were worried about when we started talking about this at the end of last week. Yeah. So here's what's going on. This is, uh, if this seems like a boring episode to you, it's because it's a big retread. 
Next Generation, there was an episode called Schisms, where the crew was being operated on by a alien entity that was doing all sorts of naughty things, cutting off Riker's arm and reattaching it and putting torturous devices on people so they could observe from another dimension. And uh, along, although in schisms, it was very creepy and very effective. And in this, it's just, I found to be very ho-hum. But a big linchpin in schisms was, uh, I believe, Geordi's visor implants was a big tipping point. And this one, Geordi is played by Jerry Ryan, the Borg, and they use her eyeball implants. And the doctor's able to, the doctor, who is very clever and much better detective than uh, Tuvok will ever be gets keen to the fact that these coincidences are something more. And the fact that Bolana almost dies and he almost gets deleted simultaneously on discovery that there is a, a, an alien force at play here. So he transfers himself off to the holodeck. And when he calls uh seven to nine over, he, they've got this little ruse where he's acting like he's a, I don't know, one of these holodeck characters, which I'm sure the real holodeck characters don't uh, don't care for too much in the 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 class warfare that we've talked about before between pleasure holograms and functional holograms. The fact that he sort of hijacks his way in there, I thought was clever, though, like it is once again, another mark in the meme category that the doctor seems to be more capable at everyone else's job than anyone else. But I guess you've mentioned before you'd expect AI to do that, but I think it's, I think I think the idea of him basically blending into the background, like Homer style, going backwards into the hedge, yeah. uh, by becoming one of these, you know, background holograms. Like, hey, don't look at me, don't look at me, yo, hey, what's up? <laughs> I thought that was cool. I thought that was clever. I liked him flipping up the, um, the little pedestal, and, and again, they're in, they're really trying to get their monies out of this uh, Leonardo da Vinci set piece that they made for scorpion i like when he flips the table open and there's all the technology of the ship in there waiting and he pulls out the the little tech scanner doodad so he can adjust uh seven of nine's ocular implant and give her the ability to start seeing whatever phase variant there is and and start trying to track down these aliens did you see the uh memory alpha notes that robert picardo apparently uh, delighted in the fact that um, he got to wear tights and that Jerry Ryan like apparently like uh, like slapped his ass a bunch of times while they were in the scene and he liked it. You know, I've seen him talk in, in public uh, at the last Dragon Con I went to and I absolutely it reading that stuff in a Wikipedia entry, I think really puts him in a much worse light than how it sounds when he talks about that stuff. In oh, person. no, he's a, he's just being a del- he's just being like a delightful, you know, roguish dude with that. Yeah. Like it's I, I read it as I think isn't how it was intended, which is, you know, he he got he he got sexually harassed and he liked it, you know, like yeah, that, like raised eyebrow, like, hey, you know, that's how he how he means it is sort of a fun way because he Speaking knows he's, of a, the... he's a balding beyond middle aged <laughs> man. Like this is like the a fantasy for him that like with werewolf Jerry Ryan teeth, slaps he keeps his, in his Yeah, with werewolf teeth, he keeps in his uh his bedside table like he was like when he I think he 
directed the episode where he like made out with two random like girls. Polynesians, hula girls. Like he's like, ah, you know what? I'm gonna make out with some hula girls in this one because sure. I'm directing. Because that's that's what Bobby Picard is gonna do today. <laughs> yeah, this uh, episode also calls a lot of attention to the fact that Tom's working these shifts in the med bay and it just continues to beat me over the head that there's that many people on the crew and you don't have any other nursing candidates other than your fucking helmsman senior crew member like what is going on here and especially once they come under the impression that the doctors for all intents and purposes deleted like how many times you got to find yourself in this situation before you start thinking we really need to send someone to holodeck college to become a doctor i got good news they actually directly address this question this season. Really? Yeah. Believe it or not. Well, that's, uh, we'll chalk that up to Brian Fuller, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's give him the credit. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> Surely go watch, not Jerry. Go, yeah, it's not Jerry Taylor. Uh, go watch Hannibal. It's great. <laughs> anyway, that's my uh, Brian Fuller shout out of the day. So seven and nine starts cruising the ship. And taking note of all these alien dudes who she is now aware of. And these are um, slightly more severe space elf type aliens with uh, ears that attach to their jawline and look kind of creepy. And also in the creepy category is all of the medieval torture devices that are now sticking out of people's faces and weighing them down and uh, generally causing discomfort in all of these crew members who were complaining before. And again, this is all retread of schisms. And I found it to be very blech. Like what, why are we going back to this storyline? It definitely is a retread. You are correct, but you know, that's star Trek for you. I mean, the Fair naked enough. now, Fair enough. <laughs> many that was the retread of a TOS episode. Like they do this. And I think this was cleverly done in terms of, the premise of the aliens who are on the ship as as we will come to discover are essentially there to uh do medical research and they're just kind of assholes yeah they're testing new types of lipstick and hairspray but before they can use it on their general population they got to test it on wild monkeys from the alpha quadrant uh seven goes to tell janeway what's up and when she gets up there, she sees that this terrible headache Janeway's been having is because she has like a whole silverware drawer full of butter knives jammed into her hairline. And she's got like three dudes sitting there like. Tinging it with with tuning forks and, and making her have a real shitty day. So Seven understands she can't tip Janeway off. In that moment. You know, I don't know why she couldn't wait five minutes to see if those guys go away, but they come up with an idea back on the holodeck that they are going to try to emit a ship wide pain field out of the EPS power grid that is going to hurt everybody, but not kill them and also hopefully knock these aliens out and they will be able to retake the ship. And now without any sort of command oversight, they start trying to deploy this and we get seven of nine down to main engineering monkeying around with the EPS power grid. And it reminds me again that you just have these visitors on the ship before it used to be Kess and Neelix who had unfettered access to everywhere. And even though I firmly believe that Neelix was some sort of 
lulzy troll saboteur out to see with what exactly <laughs> he could get away with up to and including killing crew members in uh Blana and Tom's pleasure palace. But I really think seven of nine is a different creature on account of the fact she used to be a fucking Borg and has already three times now tried to subvert the ship into a very Borg related doom. Uh, well, which, which I think that that very fact gets pretty well honored by what happens because she is trying to do this. Tuvok finds out she's doing it, immediately tells her to stop. And when she basically kind of beats around the bush and keeps trying to make it happen, fucking rushes down there and shows up with his fucking service nine right on his hip, you know, a a dick adjacent, just so it's like you can see it in the shot and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it's like he knows, like, you know what? This Borg lady's trying to kill us a couple times and. I'm seeing some shit that could kill us a third time. So I'm going to just go down there with my with my Glock and I'm going to see if I need to do something here. We know that that Tuvok does not respect Janeway's command decisions. We have watched Tuvok commit open mutiny. And although Tuvok frequently speaks about his admiration for her and this and that, we know that Tuvok at the end of the day is going to do what he feels is necessary to protect the ship. Uh, without including actually doing his his legitimate job most of the time. But, hey, plot needs to happen, right? And, uh, yeah, I love it that everybody around Janeway sees Seven of Nine as this very potent threat that, for whatever reason, Janeway is willing to coddle. And, yeah, he he sees the 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 some stuff he doesn't like. I'm curious if that pops up on his security grid because that's just a dangerous thing and he's going to see it regardless or if he's like micromanaging her access and he's got eyes on her and she's crossed a line. I really hope and I really do think that Tuvok's reactions here were very much the writers simply acknowledging the continuity of Seven of Nine being a somewhat untrustworthy figure on the ship and Tuvok being aware of that untrustworthiness and reacting very strongly to her doing something suspicious without for once having to have to tell you that directly. I don't know if I really should give the ship, the ship, the show that much credit, but I really want to, because that's what it felt like. Regardless. Uh, I think that, I think also that seven nine picks up on that as she deals with Tuvok confronting her. And she's like, Oh fuck. I have no credibility. I can't just say, trust me. I think they communicate that. Let me start giving some some credit to uh, Jerry Ryan here, who you've praised several times for her acting. I see on her face that. That quick conclusion, like, fuck, this looks really bad, and I have shot myself in the foot three times now in this exact situation, and I can't just say, like you said, trust me there. There is no reason for this to look any way different than than it does. I was really expecting her to like just beat him up and rush through the process and and blast those guys out um, with the EPS power surge. Instead, she grabs his gun, uh, phases one of the aliens, knocking them out of uh, the unalignment they were in before. And she can get him in a chokehold and is like, uh, yeah, anybody coming any closer? I'm going to kill this person. And uh Next scene, we end up with space elf torture 
dude scientist in the brig. Did you notice that in the brig there was an extra as the security guard who was like a fucking mountain of a man? I did not, actually. Yeah, so I always am on the lookout for a smoldering catcher guy, right? Like, yeah, you're he's, pretty good at he's one, he's, he's one of our show sort of like sweetheart. touchstones. He's our show sweetheart, yeah. And so, you know, we often see him in these kinds of situations as like a a notable background figure in these keyed off scenes because he's really good at standing in the back and looking like, you know, a generic Starfleet guy. Smoldering, yeah. yeah. Well, they don't use him in this scene. Instead, they have a guy who looks like uh, he's the dude that that Frankie No Shoes calls when you don't pay the fucking bookie. <laughs> you know, like he just he, the, even his his uniform doesn't seem to fit. He's like wearing just like the straight up and down like Starfleet smock because he's got like too much muscle to be contained. <laughs> like picked this up is on the, Howdy Doody Sweet Deadlift program. Yeah, like this is the security officer that would not have been overpowered by two Ferengi. This is the this is the security officer that would have, you know, put them in intensive care. So uh, they got this guy staying in the back while Janeway, who is looking like she would like to murder this woman. I got to say, Kate Mulgrew's like act face acting in the scene of like desperate, like contained rage was pretty good. They uh, unfortunately fell on their own ass and kicked themselves in the dick when it came time for her to like have a flash of anger. It's like this lame like shove she gives her. She into is the not good with physical interaction acting like no, violent. she isn't ever, her- ever, ever. That's where I really think the Janeway character falls apart, like bad writing and stuff. I'll I'll fault the script. I have never really faulted Kate Mulgrew for bad acting, but. Anytime she has to put hand now, if we're talking about like other body parts, close talking. She's great at physical acting, close talking, but violence specifically, it is so awkward community theater and it completely undermines whatever moment of insanity you're supposed to believe out of her. Yeah, it's just instead of making it. um the the highlight of the scene instead it's like oh fuck yeah. that's it yeah lame so the whole thing we go through is uh like we were just joking about these guys are doing testing they're not like the vidians where hey our whole society is fucked up and we have fallen from grace and we are desperately trying to extend our lives because we're going to die of something terrible these guys are just like, yeah, we want to live a little longer and be a little bit more comfortable. And um, we're doing it to you. You're, you're going to be how we do these tests. And uh, certainly you understand. And, uh, you know, here's this uh, very typical. Uh, we're not that different. You and I, when you stop to think about it and. Janeway loses her shit there and says, knock it off. I'm not playing along with this. And uh, the alien scientist says, well, here's my cards on the table. You're going to play our reindeer games. And in return, um, we are not going to needlessly kill too many of you. And when we are done, we will share the data that we have learned. And that's not going to be a bad deal. And Janeway's kind of like, uh, you don't expect me to actually take that deal. That's this is terrible. I've got all the cards and and no, we're not doing this. And then uh, Space Elf's like, well, either you play ball or um, we're going to pull the plug and just 
kill everybody because we've got these kill switches in place and fuck you. Yeah, the the result is that Janeway decides she's had enough and decides at that point to risk everything on essentially forcing these guys to leave. Well, there's one potent we we do actually have an a legitimate crewman die. And yeah, it, it's basically the straw that breaks the camel's back as they're talking about this issue. What can they do to deal with it? And then uh, a a random crewman, I think played by Jerry Ryan's like stand in or something. You've never she seen she was very blonde yet. in expanded universe uh, lore. She's actually a Section 31 agent. Oh, shit. OK, yeah. thanks. memory. <laughs> but yeah, so someone falls over and dies and it's not like, oh, she had something minor like. She is all fucked up. Every vein in her body has basically ruptured and her heart is exploding. And the reason I'm calling specific attention to this is that this is good acting out of Kate Mulgrew. The doctor sees the writing on the walls just like, oh, yeah, she's dead. And Janeway loses it. And I think that this is the good side of her insanity. Because what comes after is is dumb. Uh, But here... She starts applying chest compression. She's trying to do CPR and she is doing everything within her ability to stop this very, very senseless death that has just been laid on her helmsman for no good reason at all. And the doctor's like trying to curb her off of it. And I think that is the best moment of her reaching uh, Whitson that we've really seen on screen. The Tuvok uh, burns here reach uh, quite a fever pitch uh, we didn't mention that before uh, Tuvok basically responded to uh, Janeway's increasingly frustrated demands about the crew with shall I flog them as well as if to say no or you're dumb well she uh, says this... a bunch of department heads report him and, and, and while we're on well deserved Janeway dressing downs her getting on his shit about how sloppy the, sh- the ship's been run uh, pretty legitimate. And I want to say too, like a lot of all that earlier scene, because it's a result of Tom and Bellana getting busted, making out, weren't there actual dedicated conversations between Chicote and Janeway about, um, fractionization? Yeah, should the crew be fucking because, you know, we might have to run this ship with kids someday. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. That was a season one plot line. Which was a legitimate thing, and I was wishing that they would uh, play into it. Because that was when we find out that Wildman had a baby, right? That is correct. Wait, you said that was season one? Yeah. And they're in season three. That's year three of the voyage. So this Wildman's been pregnant for... No, Wildman had her baby, didn't she? Yeah. Deadlock. Deadlock, she had the kid. That is correct. Janeway has a good on-screen break trying to save this lady's life and it fails and then she just goes over to the con and starts acting super duper crazy and says i am going to (laughs) had she just simply said all right arm the self-destruct sequence everybody would be like that's the janeway we all know and love but she's like nah we're gonna go back to the super dangerous event horizon star hell well and we're going to fly right into the danger zone so her plan is to just fly through the middle of a binary star system and 
use the gravitational forces to force the aliens to just leave. And it's a stupid ass idea because, you know, if these guys are so advanced that they can phase out of your reality and essentially murder you at will through genetic manipulation, what makes you think like automatically that their spacefaring technology isn't going to be able to stand up to something that yours, you know, barely can. Uh, it's a dumb bet, but of course it pays off because it forces them to leave. I think one of the ships even gets destroyed. But the highlight of the scene is Tuvok basically saying, this is stupid. This is dumb. This is extremely reckless. We have a one in 20 chance of actually succeeding in this. Otherwise, we will all die. And of course, the ship gets through. There's no problems. There's not even a, a lick of damage and the day is saved. Uh, it, it's good from the sense that that. You know, Janeway's like, she has her, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore moment. And doing something rash makes sense. This is just like, really? Okay, fine. I guess this will do. So in Star Trek, we know that the universe is fragmented and you've got alternate realities all over the place. I like to think about moments like this as like forks in the road. Like how many other Voyager timelines just simply end here on her stupid gambit? That is a one in 20 I guess that that's your answer right there is one in 20 Voyagers would have uh, made it out. The other 19 would have been destroyed. Um, you know, it, it's it's her plain space chicken and it's her winning space chicken like she always does. Uh, and again, if we go back to schisms, I thought schisms had a pretty cool and a pretty creepy resolution. I think part of the problem with this episode is they flesh out the scientist invasive force they make them a little too i don't want to say bureaucratic but just boring they're just biopharmaceutical dudes trying to they come don't, up with new hairspray. they don't tell you anything they just have the you know it's just the one scene with janeway there you don't even get a name yeah no they like, don't name of any the, of them of the species or of the person it's just yeah, we're uh, we're Starfleet fucking Purdue Pharmaceutical or, <laughs> or space space Purdue Pharmaceutical testing stuff on you, trying to make on a better space insulin. That's that's all they are. It's it's uh, interesting idea, bad execution. The that's the fucking Voyager way. And as if uh, that resolution of the plot is not bad enough, we get treated. We get experimented experimented on further in the form of more unwanted Tom and Bellana romance, where now they're on a date and they're eating salad and whatever, and people are coming up to the door, and it's just like, Jesus Christ, I don't care about any of this. And it's more of them coyly playing with each other like, well, gee, I guess we've just been under the influence of these aliens the whole time. And this has all been a sham and none of this is real. But, you know, they're getting closer and closer, ready to kiss. And it's just more of the schlocky dialogue that is a real turnoff and a bad uh, note Steve, to end. Stevie said, you gross <laughs> when they started making out again, which I thought was funny. <laughs> like, just, just like, ew. Ah, oh, there's kids watching. Uh and uh yeah, like I I like to think that Harry showed up because he's into weird sex shit. <laughs> watch. <laughs> I want to watch. But whatever. It's the stupidest thing to end on cuz it's the stupidest part of the episode, I agree. But overall, I think I liked it. Like it's a retread, but it's still I think a, a pretty good ass episode of Star Trek in terms of funny in terms of 
good makeup, good effects, uh, good performances, you know, like good effects. We just sat here talking about how Chakotay looks like Skeletor meets a scrotum. But it looks good. Like, he doesn't look like an old man, but it looks good. Okay, like they missed the mark on the old man, but they definitely got there on looking fucked up. On scrotum, yes. <laughs> Very wrinkly. But I thought like the the whole thing was well done and retread or not, I think the thing I liked the most was it had the right amount of character development and continuity, particularly in Tuvok and Seven of Nine and their interactions down when she's basically tampering with the ship and that they focused in on like the doctor and seven, but not in a way that felt like it dominated the episode. Like everyone kind of had a moment and it it worked. Joe, this is a boring episode and I think it's an episode that doesn't matter and nobody is going to remember it because the next episode is what we're waiting on. And that's going to be season four, episode eight year of hell part one. And we've got the whole bridge crew. No, I think this is uh, probably what that new astrometrics lab, looks like the bridge but it's not and everybody's there and they're all looking very proud at something voyager comes across a krenum time ship that is wiping whole species from existence by changing the existing timeline time travel is something that we have pooped on very hard time travel is something that voyager especially season one went out of its way to beat us over the head with we've had interactions in uh future's end with Captain Caveman and all of the bad time travel. And I think it's all been leading to this. We've hinted at it before with uh, Kess's good time travel episode. We know what the Krenum are. We know that they deal with very dangerous weapons. Uh, I remember vague scraps of this. And I know that we've got red from uh, Robocop coming up. So no, 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 not it. Not red from Robocop. It's Clarence Boddicker from Robocop. Boddicker. Bitches leave, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Kirkwood Smith, man. Uh, He, you know, also he was in Star Trek Six as the Federation president. If you remember that, yeah, that was Kirkwood Smith. Yeah, listen to his voice. You'll be like, oh shit! Wow, he just called everything to attention, then told the bitches to leave. (laughs) But uh, you know, he's he's the he's fantastic in it, but. Uh, it's commonly referred to as the Voyager movie. Uh, the, it's it's the best Voyager episodes. I think that you certainly could argue that it is exactly that. And for the listener, Peter and I are working out trying to do this one, uh, you know, the way that we did Threshold, which is the last kind of like big landmark episode we did of the show. Let's see if we can do it in person. We'll see if we can work it out. Uh, but until then, folks, peace. Peace.